0: Hello and welcome to The Weekend Wrap for The Week on Wednesday. My name is Ben Davison and I am your host today on Sunday, the 5th of February in the year 2023 and I hope wherever you are around Australia or indeed around the world, you are well, you're enjoying your time and things are going in your direction. Talking about things going in a certain direction, let's talk about The Voice. In particular, let's talk about Insiders. The flagship ABC Current Affairs program has returned to our screens on Sunday mornings and David Spears, as host, interviewed Professor Megan Davis, who is, of course, one of the architects of the current referendum process. Now, it was an excellent interview. Professor Davis did incredibly well and, of course, has met recently with Peter Dutton, This was an invitation extended to the opposition leader to have a meeting to try and work through concerns that he has raised publicly. Now, it became clear during the course of the interview that Peter Dutton didn't actually try and deal with any of those concerns because, well, as we've mentioned on this show before, Peter Dutton's concerns have all been addressed previously. If Peter Dutton was not asleep for the entire time, Ken Wyatt being the Coalition's Indigenous Affairs Minister, then he must have been aware of some of the answers to some of his quote-unquote 15 questions. And what Professor Davis made very clear was that the referendum is not about detail. And in fact, where we are at has gone through an extensive process, a far more extensive process than many other referendums have gone through in terms of consultation, development of the question, development of a process post-referendum, should it be successful, and that those who are calling for more detail don't appear to be doing so in good faith. And this point was reinforced by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese when he attended the Chifley Research Centre conference uh, this weekend in Canberra, and he made very clear that the referendum is about two principles, recognition and consultation recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in our Constitution, and consultation with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders on issues and policy matters related to them by both our Parliament and our Executive Government. Professor Davis made the point that some people seem to want a level of detail that simply has never existed when it comes to not just referendums, but any government policy. For example, Professor Davis said she's not able to tell people where the office of the voice would be or what the business cards would look like because that's not what the referendum is about. And can I just say it's so refreshing to see this pushback starting to happen. I'm sure there are people doing it. I know there are people doing it. I can see them doing it online, but it is fundamental that it happens because this is a nonsense, this argument that there is no detail. There is more detail about how a voice might work than certainly any referendum in my lifetime. And let's be really clear. David Crow, who was on the panel of insiders, said very clearly, 60% of all Australians support The Voice and a majority, according to Fair, uh, Channel 9 age Sydney Morning Herald polls, a majority in every state support The Voice. This is a popular idea. Australians want to recognise our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander compatriots in our constitution, and we want to make sure they are consulted on matters that relate to them. And let me add this to the discussion, because Dan Bouchier, whose last name I'm sure I've mispronounced, and I apologise if I have, is a First Nations man who was on the panel, who was having this discussion with three non-First Nations Australians and the issue of Alice Springs was raised. As we've discussed on this show previously, the issues in Alice Springs are complex. One element of the issues in Alice Springs is around alcohol. The point that Dan was trying to make, consistently trying to make around this, was that there are many people, First Nations people and other professionals, doctors, other people that he's been speaking with who say that while alcohol is part of the problem, there are other deep socioeconomic problems that need to be addressed as well. And the fixation and fascination with the mostly white media on Alice Springs as an alcohol issue is not helping the people of Alice Springs. Now, he was consistently Talked over by another member of the panel, and his view was somewhat dismissed. Now, if ever there is a clear example of why the voice is needed, it's those moments in this morning's broadcast of Insiders. Because there is a First Nations man on television in a professional capacity, explicitly talking about First Nations issues. And yet, being dismissed by his white colleagues, the voice gives institutional weight. And yes, people say, "Oh, it's a separate thing." Well, a separate institutional power to, that has to be consulted, that recognises Aboriginal, and Torres Strait Islander people, is clearly needed. Because, as Professor Davis said. Something is broken and it needs to be fixed. And as the treatment of Dan demonstrated on the panel, simply injecting a First Nations person onto a panel of white journalists doesn't mean they're going to listen to him. It doesn't mean his voice is actually going to be heard. Having that institutional weight, having that constitutional recognition gives Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people the voice they deserve, the voice they have asked for. And frankly, this idea that keeps permeating around that somehow or another, every element of this needs to be worked out in advance, and the color of the business cards, and the location of the office, and how many people from which part of the country, and all the rest of it is a nonsense. It's an absolute, abject nonsense. The majority of Australians want the voice. The majority of Australians in a majority of states want the voice. In fact, the majority of Australians in every state want the voice. This is not a political problem. It is a media circus. And let me be really clear about this point as well. Referendums are not unifying. We all want this idea that the voice referendum will be a great unifying moment in Australia to be true. We want that to be who we are. But I can tell you, having gone through in a very personal way the marriage equality plebiscite, that plebiscites and referendum are. Binary. They are yes or no. And whenever you have a binary, you have a division. Those who say yes and those who say no. There will be some people who say no. There has never been a referendum in Australian history where 100% of people have voted yes or, in fact, voted no. But here's the thing you can have a referendum. And in this country, we've had referendums succeed with as little as 54% support, but majority in each state. And then the unifying moment happens afterwards. The unifying moment happens afterwards. It is unthinkable now that marriage equality would be reversed. The unifying moments of that campaign, of that plebiscite, occurred after the vote. Now, it's important that we win, that the Yes campaign wins the voice, because otherwise the divisions continue, as we've seen with the Republic. Of course, the Republic became bogged down in this detail question, and the Howard government sabotaged our attempts to become a republic and many many years later we are still a nation divided about our identity and our connection to the British monarchy I myself am a Republican I pay my membership dues to the Australian Republican movement and I'm very pleased that Craig Foster is leading that movement. But fundamentally, we need to understand that the unifying moments of referenda occur after they pass and become law. Alternatively, the divisions will continue. Can you imagine if we as a nation turn around to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and say, We refuse to recognise you in our constitution, and we refuse to consult with you on policies and laws that will impact you, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, and your grandparents. What kind of a nation would that make us? Well, I can tell you what kind it would make us, because currently we are the only Western nation with a colonial history that does not recognise our First Nations people in our constitution. We are an outlier among the civilised world. And until we address this issue, and until we understand the complexity that will be addressed by addressing it, we will continue to be an outlier. Every state and territory leader signed up at National Cabinet to The Voice. The Voice campaign will launch in Adelaide in a little over 10 days. I hope to be there. Van and I hope to be there. We will be in Adelaide as part of our uh, week on Wednesday live in Adelaide for the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Uh, We are really looking forward to being able just to see and experience that launch because let me tell you, Fundamentally, we will be voting yes. And we encourage everybody who listens to our shows to vote yes and to talk to the people you know about voting yes because we must recognise and we must consult with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We cannot continue, we cannot continue to pretend that Aboriginal people are not part of our country, our history, who we are as a nation. And this idea, some people put forward this idea that, well, we elect, there are some elected Aboriginal people in our parliament. Surely that's voice enough. Well, let me ask you this. For those who say that, are you happy with the idea that Lydia Thorpe represents you? Because I'm from Victoria, and I have to say, Lydia Thorpe, who is a senator for Victoria, does legally represent me. But I'm also very glad that there are other senators from Victoria, because I do not feel represented by Lydia Thorpe. I do not feel represented by Sarah Henderson from the Liberal Party. It's people like Linda White, Anna Stewart, Senator Raff, who I feel represent me. For people to say that a handful of Aboriginal people elected to our parliament somehow or another represents the vast array of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and the many nations and clans that they're from fundamentally misunderstands the nature of representation. Lydia Thorpe no more represents every Aboriginal person than I can claim to represent every Victorian, because I'm from Victoria. These are nonsense arguments put forward to deliberately undermine the principles at stake. Recognition and consultation, that's what you're voting on. Can I also say this about insiders before we move on to some other issues? David Spears So so Dan raised the issue around the RoboDebt Royal Commission. And David Spears, as he so often unfortunately does, made an offhand comment about people seeing how the sausage is made. Now, the whole point of Insiders is to give people an insight into how the sausage is made. What the RoboDebt Royal Commission has done is not shown people how the sausage is made, it's shown people how a conservative government over the course of a decade Treated people like sausage meat. And it's a particular difference. Dan raised the issue about Robodebt and the Robodebt Royal Commission and the shocking, shocking revelations over the last week. And you can go and listen to Van and I talk about that in last week's episode. And we'll talk more about it when the Royal Commission report comes down. But absolutely outrageous attacks against some of the most vulnerable people in our community, deliberately manipulating the media, deliberately using the Australian, deliberately using Murdoch press to attack vulnerable Australians to defend a government policy that people in government, in very senior levels of government, knew or had been informed was likely to be unlawful, possibly illegal, and they used and weaponised information against citizens that they had collected from those citizens notionally to help them, to help them. That was the point that Dan was making. David Spears' response about people getting a view of how the sausage is made, obviously an offhand comment, not well thought through. And, of course, it has inflamed people. It inflamed me. Uh, And you'll notice that the week on Wednesday Twitter account I tweeted about it uh, pretty much immediately because it is so disrespectful. And again, it fails to comprehend the lived experience of so many hundreds of thousands of people. We expect our governments to be there for us when we need them. That's, that's the beauty of democracy. We don't live in autocracies. We don't live in oligarchies. We don't live in a capitalist post-apocalyptic wasteland, we live in a democratic society where governments are elected to make our lives better, to help us make our own lives better, to facilitate improvements in our living standards and our general life. You know, the Chifley Research Centre has been running a conference for the last couple of days in Canberra, and you know, it's been a who's who of the Albanese Labor government. Of course, Alba himself has spoken. Uh, Tony Burke has talked about the second tranche and a potential third tranche of industrial relations reform. Clearly something we need. And by the way, if you haven't joined your union, you need to join as soon as you possibly can. You know, a couple of very quick case studies on why four years without a pay rise for the workers at Spitzer. Absolutely, those workers are bargaining hard to get pay increases. Yesterday was Thank a Posty Day. In over in the US, there are three hundred and forty thousand UPS workers who may end up needing to take industrial action because, despite record profits during the pandemic, UPS, along with many other postal and courier uh, uh, services, is trying to reduce and cut wages and conditions for postal and courier workers. Not just in the US, but in many places around the world. And of course, yesterday was also World Cancer Day. And 10% of cancers, 10% of cancers are directly linked to a person's work. That's worldwide. And of course, one of the key things that being a union member does and being active in your union does, is it gives you a better understanding of occupational health and safety. It gives you more power to bargain and improve your wage outcomes, and ensure your job security. So go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W. You can join right now. And, of course, Tony Burke has been talking about how to keep improving our industrial relations system. And, of course, unions play a role in that, and they're part of the consultation process and negotiation process to improve our workplace laws in this country, but also around the world. There's no question that unions play a role in much the same way, by the way, that capital moves around the world. (laughs) We shouldn't pretend this is somehow a secret or some kind of conspiracy. Workers talking to each other in different parts of the world to understand how to improve their lives is actually more beneficial than simply moving money from one market to another, as capital markets do so frequently. Jim Chalmers is one of the people who was speaking at the Chifley Research Center Conference, and he has put this into a really excellent essay in The Monthly where he talks about breaking down this division, this false dichotomy that somehow or another society or the economy, that that's a binary, that you can choose to do one or the other, that in fact we now understand much better more clearly how important a healthy society is to have a healthy economy, and improving the living standards and the material conditions of the majority of people actually allows for more sustainable economic growth. And that the role of government is not to help individual corporations maximize profit, But is to ensure that through a healthy, engaged, employed, well skilled, high living standard society, we have an economy that is sustainable, that is growing, that is using its resources in a way that ensures future generations have access to them as well. That these are actually two sides of the same. Coin, And for far too long, the neoliberal dogma has pitted one against the other. And in fact, even today, discussion around interest rates and inflation pits society against the economy. It says, and even the RBA governor in recent discussions has said that workers have to except real terms pay cuts. And by the way, if your pay doesn't go up, at least by inflation, you have had in real terms a pay cut. Some people have tried to argue that is somehow wordplay or some kind of uh, misnomer. The reality is if the cost of everything goes up by more than than your wages go up, then you are going backwards. That's what increased cost of living is. That's what a real-terms pay cut means. That's what the RBA and neoliberal economists continue to argue for. The point that I have made and the point that Van has made and the point that many other people make is that interest rate rises hurt early-stage home buyers. They hurt workers who either can't bargain for higher wages or have to simply absorb higher costs. They hurt renters because, of course, landlords push increased borrowing costs onto renters and anyone who's trying to rent in any capital city, in fact, in any part of Australia, you have my solidarity and indeed my sympathy because it is very difficult out there. The people that it doesn't hurt <laughs> are the people who are profiting. So let's be really clear about this. You have the biggest oil and gas companies in the world making record profits, you have some uh, research indicating that up to 60% of the inflation burden is being driven by additional profit-taking. Those things are not impacted by interest rate rises. That, raising interest rates, does not stop that from happening. It is through changes on the supply side and to the taxation side, that those who are profiteering from inflation will have to pay the cost. And that's what we need to do in this country. Quite frankly, I'm just going to say it. We have to tax those who are profiting from inflation and we have to build and increase the supply of things for which prices are rising too rapidly. And of course, that's why policies like social and affordable housing are so important, because housing costs have gone up. That's why accessible, low-cost, if not universally free, early childhood education is so important. You know when we had deflation in the Australian economy? When we made childcare free. When we took that cost out of the basket of goods that people had to pay for Turns out people's living standards, on average, overall, markedly improved because there was a moment of deflation. So even though there was not a significant increase in wages, there was a significant reduction in costs for a large, very large number of people, and that gave them a boost in their living standards. That's the sort of thing we need to be thinking about doing, not just raising interest rates. I'm sure they will raise interest rates again, and I'm sure that more people will be put under pressure to make payments to the bank. There's a beautiful little graph. I will share it on our social medias that shows just how much of the increased cost of living over the last 12 months has been increased costs due to accommodation, driven by rises in mortgage rates, rises in, in some cases credit card rates as well. These are fundamentally 40-year-old tools designed to deal with a different type of inflation being misapplied to an economy that needs a different solution. Jim Chalmers does seem to be a treasurer of a different mindset. He seems to be a treasurer who is thinking these things through. And with the May budget fast approaching, it's already February, with the May budget fast approaching, we can hope that we will see important moves to address some of the supply issues and possibly even some of the tax issues. The IMF, I believe it was the IMF, made the point this week that the stage two tax cuts are not something they would be suggesting the Australian government goes ahead with. This, of course, has been a point many of us have made before. Now, That's all I'm going to talk about for the weekend wrap. You've had nearly half an hour of me ranting in your ear this afternoon. I hope that you will come and see Van and I in Adelaide for the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Tickets are available online. If you Google uh, Adelaide Fringe Festival Van Battam or Adelaide Fringe Week on Wednesday, they'll come up straight away. Links, of course, in all of our social media. A huge shout-out. And congratulations to all of our supporters who've helped us cross over to just over 750,000 downloads, three quarters of a million downloads now for the week on Wednesday. Couldn't have done it without you. Please do like, do share, do review, wherever you are listening to this podcast on whatever platform, those reviews, those likes, those shares, that really helps other people find us uh, and get an understanding of what we are on about. Don't forget, if you're not a member of your union, well, what better time than now? So until Wednesday, when Van will join me for the week on Wednesday, remember, vote yes to The Voice.